Welcome to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing app businesses. We sit down with the entrepreneurs, investors, and builders behind the most successful apps in the world to learn from their successes and failures. Subclub is brought to you by RevenueCat. Thousands of the world's best apps trust RevenueCat to power in-app purchases, manage customers, and grow revenue across iOS, Android, and the web. You can learn more at RevenueCat.com. Let's get into the show. Hello, I'm your host, David Barnard, and with me today, RevenueCat CEO, Jacob Beide. Our guest today is John Gruber, raconteur, Apple aficionado, podcast host, and sole proprietor of Daring Fireball. On the podcast, we talk with John about the far-reaching implications of the Digital Markets Act, how app developers should be thinking about the opportunities created, and why Apple making so much money from the App Store might actually be bad for Apple long-term. Hey, John, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Can't wait to chat about all this fun regulation stuff. <laughs> yeah, what could be more fun? This is, this is why we all went into a career in law, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Jacob, nice to uh, see you today. Oh, I, I got a text frantically last night that I, I get, I, now I have to, have to actually understand this DMA stuff. And so I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't think of a better place to be. On Friday. Hey, it's, yeah. it's the best way for me to get you up to speed on all the latest Apple stuff. I know. Wait till somebody <laughs> tells me it's important enough for me to read all the articles. So we, we've exactly. crossed that threshold. So I'm excited to get educated today. We're going to dig into this DMA stuff. But the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast and been super excited to talk to you specifically is that over the next 18 months or so, this long horizon timeline from understanding aspects of what's going to go into place to then actually Apple announcing what they're doing and the EU potentially saying no. And I mean, it's, there's going to be a lot going on. And But companies, app developers, uh, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, you know, all these companies and, and our audience is going to be making decisions. Are we pushing more to the web? Are we, you know, hedging with uh, app payments inside our app? Are we, you know, what are we doing? And so there's going to be bets placed over the next 18 months on like how this is going to play out. And as a keen Apple observer and with contacts in the industry and having, you know, followed the company since the 90s, um, that'd be really interesting to get your perspective on how Apple might be thinking about these things. So with that out of the way, I, I wanted to just dive into kind of your TLDR. What is what is the DMA, and then we'll kind of get into <laughs> all the details, section by section. John, please. Yeah. <laughs> it is simultaneous. Well, it it is the Digital Markets Act. It is passed by the European Commission, which is the regulatory arm of the European Union, and it is, uh, in lay layperson's terms, more or less the EU's attempt to regulate big tech, and it is. Always to me, like like I, uh, Ben Thompson and I on our podcast Dithering, we're talking about this. And again, we're not lawyers, so maybe maybe it's like folklore. But there's sort of supposedly <laughs> some kind of I don't know. We both heard it and grew up thinking it that in the United States, for example, it's not legal to pass laws that target like an individual. You you can't mm. you're you know you 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 can't just say this law only applies to a certain person. 
Uh, and that makes sense, right? Fair, fair and square. And, and it's, I don't think there is such a law against companies. You can actually, you could, I guess you could pass a law that just specifies it's the Apple must change its, get its shit together or get its crap together. <laughs> First beep right there, get its act together, uh, act. But it, so to try to dance around it, they've defined this definition of quote unquote gatekeepers, which is, I don't know, some combination of how many users and massive amounts of money. And it's really wild. It's $80, million, $80 billion valuation, 49 million users, which is a strange. And combo. maybe, <laughs> maybe revenue is mixed in there. It, and it's kind of hard. Like, you know, we all know who the big five, six tech companies are, but it is kind of hard to draw a definition that encompasses them all because their businesses are so different, right? Mm-hmm. Apple, even though what we're talking about here with the app store is mostly about services, uh, and that sort of thing. Everybody knows where Apple's money comes from. It comes from selling computers, right? And the one computer that makes most of the money is the one called iPhone. But they sell devices and they have this massive hardware uh, supply chain thing in China and they're expanding it around the world. Facebook doesn't have anything like that, right? Microsoft sells some hardware, but like it's Microsoft is sort of the inverse of Apple where their hardware is a sort of side business and the main thing is software. None of them really make – so they, you know, it's some combination of lots of users, lots of money, right? And they call these companies gatekeepers and that these rules apply to them. As it pertains to, I, I think our discussion is mostly the parts that that deal with Apple, and uh, I think it's fair to say a significant part of it does. I mean, it, it, it shocked me just like reading the DMA. It's like, oh, somebody read the uh, App Store guidelines and then <laughs> yeah. turned it into a law. <laughs> it's really wild. It's a hundred pages, give or take. You know, depends how you print it. I tried to read it after Mark Gurman's story in Bloomberg, which sort of prompted this whole discussion where, where Gurman's story at Bloomberg earlier this week, more or less just said what I guess we assumed had to be happening. But he confirmed that Apple's, you know, it, the law, this is now the law in the EU. It's passed. So they're acting on it and they kind of have to act now to be in compliance by like March. It's like March, 2024 is the deadline for a lot of this stuff. And if you, you know, everybody, everybody who listens to this show, I'm sure knows Apple's basic schedule where there will be an iOS 17 next September. Obviously they are working on that now and have been for some time. They will announce it and at least some aspects of it at WWDC, which everybody expects to be this June but that means that iOS 17, which launches next fall, would be the current iOS in March of 2024. So I would expect the provisions that deal with this DMA compliance to kick in with like iOS 17.3, you know, yeah. maybe 17.4. You know, you know, you never know how they're going to roll out those little dot releases in between. Right. The parts that deal with Apple are mostly about the App Store, uh, and they are things about saying that if you if you are one of these gatekeepers, um, I mean, I guess the two big ones that really are are landscape changers for our community um, are that if you have an App Store, if you have some kind of a hardware platform that has App Stores, you have to support alternative App Stores from the one owned by the gatekeeper. So. In other words, third-party app stores, and that you need to support. They never use the word sideloading. They, I forget how they call it, but basically, what we call in our industry lingo, sideloading. You have to, you have to allow the the installation of apps from outside the app store. And from my understanding, it was actually third-party app stores or sideloading. Right? It wasn't 
that they had to support both. It <laughs> it depends on the usage of or, right? Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> and again, it is one of these armchair and they're Lawyers, of course, are never in favor of amateur <laughs> lawyering. <laughs> and, and I would certainly, anybody who's in any legal trouble, I would advise getting, you know, or setting up a real, if you're setting up a, a, your own corporation or whatever, get a real lawyer, you know. <laughs> but there are, as a pundit, though, there are aspects that you can't, that it's literally, it, you know, the law is written in plain language or, or language yeah. that you can read. And yes, there's there's these sections that say, Something, something about that you must allow applications to be uh, downloaded directly or, you know, and that these rules apply to this applications, side loading or third party app stores. Uh, And they repeat this over and over again. And I think and I think most people who read it think what they mean by that is either or or and or or both or something. Yeah, this or that, like as a as a unit, right? Like side loading or app stores as a as a single noun. Right. right. They mean they, I, you know, by any knowing what their intentions are and knowing what the controversies are, knowing what what rivals to Apple are demanding, you'd think they'd mean both. But a plain reading of it seems to mean that they could choose either or, which is, you know, <laughs> who knows how Apple's going to parse it. And I also feel like well, I mean, I think we I think we do. Right. They're going to parse it in whatever way is absolutely right. most favorable to them, which is what we've seen them do <laughs> with the Netherlands and South Korea and a couple of other places. They've been forced to do things They're They're not. Well, spirit of the law is not of real interest to them, I think. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think it's very hard to say because Apple is very opaque about everything it does, of course. But um, it seems to me like, what are they going to do if Apple perceives ambiguity in these guidelines? Are they going to go to the EEC and ask for clarity privately behind the <laughs> scenes and try to get these things as clear as they can? Or are they going to pounce on the ambiguities and try to take advantage of them as loopholes? And then when they get called out on them, like, hey, that's not what we meant. They'll say, well, here's the language. And, you know, and and that would help them kick the can down the road. I don't know. Which is billions of dollars, right? Like if they have a potential loss here, that, that if, if they dollars. can delay it right. five years, that's billions of additional dollars right. in revenue before they have to, you know, actually bear the bear the cost. One of the important things here too is that while it's billions of dollars to Apple, it's trillions of dollars in the in the app store economy over right. Right. years and decades. Like this is this is a lot of like money. This is like the computer we all have in our pockets that that these laws are influencing and the Apple's interpretations are shaping. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's scary to me. I, I, I was thinking about this today. I mean, I, and I'm again, yeah, not a lawyer, not all that educated, just plainly, but, <laughs> but I was thinking about like, this is, I feel like we're at this moment where this industry, you know, we, we all kind of grew up with the automotive industry being a thing, right? It was already down to the big three, super entrenched. There's all this like mixing between the government and these automotive companies, that all happened at like the turn of the century up through the 1950s and 60s, right? And by that point, we had this massively entrenched oligopoly. Um, and I'm wondering, like, I kind of feel like that's what's happening now. Like, we had this in- emergent industry, and now, like, regulators, whether in cahoots with or in opposition to, are coming in and, like, putting their fingers in it. And what's just going to happen is this whole thing's going to become calcified in a very strange way. And I guess that's like, what we're trying to predict right now is, like, how is this all going to fall out? And I, I don't think we can, we can, you know, prognosticate. But uh, it's really, it's such a dynamic system. It's just really hard to tell, like yeah. what Apple's going to do. What are going to be the side effects of that? You know. Well, I'll, I'll just go back to uh, how, 
what is Apple going to do through back channels? And I think, Jacob, you brought up the Japan Trade Commission. I, I think one of you did. But um, yeah, w- with the Japan Trade Commission, it seems very obvious to me that Apple had about as amicable as a as a back and forth with, with them the as possible. Rule, right? There, yeah, and there there were no nothing went public. There was no there were no news stories about Apple battling the JTC, and they. And then when they came to their joint agreement and they announced it, I thought Apple's press release kind of bent over backwards to praise the relationship that they had with them. It was uncontroversial. Both sides, they were like, we, we, we're happy to agree to these terms and the JTC is happy to accept them. And, you know, and they did move the platform further in a way that I think was good for everybody. I, I don't think, though, that Apple has that relationship with the EU. I think with the EU, because the EU has made stinks in, in the press and has been controversial, I think Apple is already on an adversarial footing with them that is different. Mm-hmm. But I'll just point that out, though, that I think it was, I think Apple had a very cordial relationship with the JTC. So who knows? You know, let, me, let me push back on that a little bit. I sure. think the cordial relationship and then bending over backwards is that they were, they were only being forced to give an inch in a very obvious place. And so it's easy for them to be cordial when right. they're not being pushed very hard. Actually right. threatened. Right. right, right. The JTC wasn't pushing for sideloading, right? Or, right. or something else that they don't want to do, or, or, or something that would like meaningfully impact their business. I mean, this was this was them giving an inch, you know. And so, oh look, we're such good friends with regulators. Right, yeah. we'll give an inch, you know. I mean, that was my perception of of how yeah. of why that one particularly came off so cordial. But yeah. but to your point, I mean, it is interesting read of all this is that. And I hadn't thought of it in quite this way. Is that it, the EU and Apple are more adversarial? I mean, it's almost like a Apple Facebook kind of thing. And you know, it's like Apple has it's, its ironic, kind of, right? Like, given the EU's, you know, GDPR just shipped a couple of years ago. Like, the, if anybody's going to be an ally for them in that fight, it's going to be Apple potentially, right? And, right. and seem to be the one they're targeting with the most ire here. How else to summarize it? You know, I, the problem. I think it's twofold. I think that as an overview, the the DMA is too long and it is very it is very dense legalese. But when you get to the nitty gritty details of some of these, I would say flat out spectacular demands. You know, they are very significant mm-hmm. technical demands. It is incredibly underspecified. It is it, mm-hmm. it, it to me it. it it is a very poorly written law, and, and I, on, their, on, on my site, I, I mentioned it in comparison to their demands about USB-C ports for charging, and I'm opposed to mandating that by regulation. I don't think it's necessary. I think that the market had worked itself out, and all of the all of the arguments about that always start with look at this picture of 20 different phone chargers, and you know there's like 20 different cables. That picture is from 20 years ago. The the market forces worked on that. I don't want to mm-hmm. argue about USB-C here and waste time. <laughs> no, but it, it's applicable. Yeah, I see where you're going. But while I disagree w- with mandating that all uh, devices like phones and headphone, uh, cell phones and headphones, if they have a charging port, the port must be USB-C. I don't think there's any reason for that to be regulated by law. But at least the law is very – what they've demanded is very clear. They're saying mm-hmm. if you make these type of devices and they have a charging port, 
then the port has to be a USB-C type port. Okay, well, then at least you know how to comply. Whereas their, their demands that if you're a gatekeeper and you run one of these platforms and you have to allow side loading, but you're allowed to protect the integrity of the hardware and the integrity yeah. of the operating system and the security of the users, how exactly you need to enable side loading is, it, 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 to me, I, I, and I really, I spent a, a whole day, I mean, maybe maybe a document of this length a day is is not not enough time, but I couldn't bear to do it more. But like, all right, but like to me, I, I, let's just say compared to Android, is Android already in full compliance? They, they do, they've, they've supported side loading from the beginning and I, it, and it, it, they also have supported third-party app stores. Stores, yeah. I'm not sure. So I, on the surface, you would think they're already in compliance with that. I'm not sure, though, that the that the way that they do sideloading on Android is co- is in compliance because there's some language in there about uh, about what happens by default. And I, I mm. actually think Android system. I actually, I, and I, you know, I always keep a spare Android phone here. I think you know, developers who want phones to be just like PCs, you know, Windows and Macs, uh, Windows PCs and Macs in terms of the out-of-the-box support for just installing apps from anywhere are never going to be happy, I don't think. And I don't think it's appropriate for most users. I, I, I do think I do think phones are different. I, I kind of wish that I, I wish that Apple in the way that Apple makes two laptop type platforms, the iPad and the MacBook, I, I wish in theory that they made two phones, like the, a Mac phone and the iPhone. And I would buy mm. the Mac phone. I would love it, like a more of an enthusiast phone. Or, uh, but I get why they don't. I don't think I don't think it makes any financial sense for them to do it. But like the way you know, developers who want to circumvent the Play Store are not happy with the dig into settings, go into the advanced, click this button to allow apps from another place, confirm that you uh, acknowledge that this is dangerous and that you're trusting this developer, blah, blah, blah. Is that in compliance with the DMA? I don't know. I don't know what happens. I mean, I think it's a perfectly reasonable decision for a consumer hardware software company, right? right. Like, it's not impossible. Right. It's not whatever, and it's accessible. Right. Um, I, I, I just, going back to the, the USB comparison versus an app store and thinking about the orders of magnitude of complexity difference, there like a usb port there's an iso specification or whatever like it's written down right it's agreed upon by engineers it's very clear an app store there's like four of them and each one is very different very new i mean this is my business like like hundreds of them if you look at the chinese i mean there's yeah yeah, those as well and they're all kind of derivatives of each other but like each one has slightly different rules not even clear exactly i guess it's a software distribution coupled with whatever but like yeah, I mean, I don't see how they could possibly, in a, even a 100-page document, whatever, specify what that actually means, which just means we're in for stupidity. Like, there's just no way this doesn't <laughs> become a massive mess. And and the other thing that I think is really important for people who are going to be listening to a show like this is that there are, I, I, I would venture to say around the world, millions of people like us, technically-minded developer types or people who are uh, somehow involved in the creation of software for phones and, and these platforms or are just really care about it and are enthusiasts for it. And our concerns (laughs) are are not 
their concerns. I, I think one of the things to understand about the EC is that they're primarily, in my opinion, they are not addressing the needs of consumers or enthusiasts at all. Mm. They are addressing the concerns of mid-tier companies like Spotify. Spotify is the poster child. Spotify's wish list, right? And Epic's ironic too. Spotify, Epic, those sort of companies. And that's very different. But on on the other hand, there are aspects of this that don't even satisfy like Spotify. Um, and, and the the you brought up, I think, uh, David, the Dutch dating thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the Dutch, it, this is not EC wide, but it could because it's the sort of thing that could spread. But the in the Netherlands, their their equivalent of the FTC is concerned about dating apps and what they have to pay and and what payment processing because there's I guess the match group is headquartered there or something like that but <laughs> of course um, well I mean I don't even blame it that legislators yeah. are you know you're supposed to care about your constituents you know so it's you know yeah. you can roll your eyes a little and I do but um that the big the huge misunderstanding that people in our community had because so many people in our community are care every every single week when you when we if you're a developer you're looking at your income and your revenue and you care about the 30 15 split the from the the app store the commission the tax whatever you want to call it with the dutch app store thing it it was like you have to allow third party processing or you have to allow links to the web to sign up from the app, which are, you know, everybody in our community knows how crazy it's crazy. And I, it is one of those things that I, I, at this point, I'm, I would say I'm outright furious at Apple for not conceding the links to the web from within apps. It's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And I think it's just clearly wrong. And it's just, it, it really is. I don't think Apple is typically a money grab company, but this is an, the, the fact that they've, it's a bit of a breach of just like, computers and right? common that, sense like, right yeah and that you can't and and my 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 best way i i always go back to it i've repeated it many times is that the one of the rules in the app store is that you cannot explain the rules of the app store in your app so you can't <laughs> right and and to me to me that is so historically a, a, a hallmark of great systems right if you're like <laughs> right. not allowed to tell people how it works right so um Netflix is a great example because Netflix used to be in the app store. I suspect Netflix is still one of the top grossing apps in the app store because of it all is, of the, yeah. all of, and, and I yeah. think it's, I think it might single-handedly be the reason that Apple stopped publishing top grossing apps because Netflix mm. would be there five or six years after they <laughs> stopped accepting <laughs> signups. But so if you are a new customer to Netflix or let's say a returning customer who had previously canceled your account and now you want to come back because you heard there's a new show and you download the Netflix app on your iPhone or like Apple TV and you're like, how do I sign up? They're, all they ask is what's your email? What's your password? Sign in. And, and if you don't have an email or password for Netflix, what do you do? And it doesn't say. Yeah, you can't even say. You can't, you can't even, not a link. You can't even right. say, like, go to the website to sign up, right? Right. They can't Amazing. even say that. And they can't it's great say. for the consumer. And they can't, and they <laughs> definitely can't say. You can't say, go to the web to sign up. Go to, go to Netflix.com to sign up. Let alone make go to Netflix.com a thing you could tap to, you know, actually go there. <laughs> uh, yeah. And. Uh, and I wrote about this years ago and at Netflix, it's funny because they do have a phone number if you need help. So I called it and, and I asked the phone number, Hey, I, I don't have an account for Netflix. What do I do? And they taught and, and it was a prepared answer. They're like, Oh, you need to go to an actual computer. Do you have access to 
uh, a Mac or Windows, uh, and you go to the website. You know, you know why they still, you know why they still let that happen because App Review never called the number. I guarantee right. you, if they called the number, <laughs> Netflix is getting rejected. But Guaranteed. How, how many companies can support a, a full time one eight hundred number? You know, anyway, <laughs> that's a great, it's a great uh, hackathon idea. It's just like a Twilio app right. that will uh, you can throw in and do it. Uh, that's crazy. But anyway, with, with the, the Dutch thing, everybody thought that, okay, now that the Dutch are going to make them, even if it's just for this limited category of dating apps, now that these dating apps can can process payments on their own with their own third-party processor, probably Stripe, right? That's what everybody loves. But whatever they want I- I inside their app or put a button that would jump you to the web where you can pay there. And the thing that everybody was like, what, what the heck was it when Apple issued their, you know, here's how we're going to comply with it there. They said, you'll, you know, if you take either of these options, you will need to let us audit your books <laughs> and we, you, we will collect 27% of the revenue that goes through your in-app purchasing or the sales on the web. And they had to dance back and forth with the Dutch ACM, the, you know, the, the regulators on a couple of their things, like the language and stuff like that. But the basic idea that they still get to collect that platform fee wasn't even in dispute. And yeah. us were like, what? But that's, that's not I- illegal. That's not, that's not outside the bounds. And it's not in question it, here either. I mean, that was the outfall of the, the Epic case as well, right? This, it's fine. And that's the first time we really got a clue that that's how Apple would think about it, was that when Tim Cook was on the stand. And I still think, in hindsight, I, I, I know he was very well prepared. Of course, Tim Cook is Tim Cook, and he did his homework. I thought he came off very poorly uh, from a PR perspective. But nobody seems to remember it, so maybe you know, <laughs> you know, he's smarter than I am, and taking the tone he did was appropriate. But one of the questions he asked was about the – we tend to think of the App Store process, uh, commission – as being a payment processing fee. And that's why everybody is so upset by it was you go through Stripe or PayPal, you pay 3% or 2, 2.7%, something like that. You know, it's, and you, you count chargebacks and, and this and that you round it up to 5%, right? 5% payment processing fees is pretty standard yeah. when all is said and done. And so, yeah. Th- and let me, let me interrupt you there real quick. Cause I think this is actually an important point is that it's not just the 5% though. And I've actually been doing a ton of research for Revenue Cat and our customers who use Stripe because you then also have to register register a domicile for tax collecting and then you need to remit the payments. And Stripe doesn't handle that for you. There's a third-party plugin for Stripe called Avalara that they'll do an audit and figure out where you have tax obligations. And then there's minimums for each state. And so the 5%, yes, maybe just tax collection, but Apple also does all this other right. stuff. And then, oh, by the way, yeah, so you're you enlightened like a, now, David. A, a You've done the research. <laughs> oh my gosh. I had no idea. I mean, I've been Ill, not fully informed on all this until I started digging into it. Right. So, so go on though. But yes, I mean, ostensibly it's around 5% of direct payments, but then there's also a lot more work I mean, involved. The, the in non-compliant the version is 5%, right? Yeah. If you just ignore all that right. stuff, which most indie developers probably will, right? right? Until somebody tells them they can't. But wherever you come to, and you could, you could go as high. I've seen people estimate as high as like seven and a half percent when all is said and done with everything you need to do. But whatever, wherever you arrive at for processing your own payments through reliable, dependable, reputable processors like Stripe, it is way less than 30% or 15%, yeah. right? And that's what people have been thinking. And and that's why people have – Epic 
very clearly seems to consider it just a payment processing fee. And that's why their entire legal argument in their case, or not entirely, but a large part of it was just that it's a payment processing thing. It, it, they charge way too much. Therefore they should be forced to compete on payment processing alone. And if that were true, I think they'd have a great case. The problem is that's not how Apple sees it. Apple sees it as a licensing fee. This is a way for them to monetize their intellectual property of iOS, that it is their platform and that they they want a, a commission from allowing a third-party developers to uh, be on the platform. They could have done this back in the day any number of ways. They could have, for example, just and, and like back when I was young – this was more how stuff was licensed. You know, it was like mm -hmm. Unix was incredibly expensive, like to get like an actual Unix brand server. It was, you know, I don't know, like $20,000 or something like that. They could charge, they could have charged like $20,000 for uh, uh, a developer license for the iPhone or charged by user, you know, user tiers. And that once you exceed a number of downloads, you know, no matter what, even for a free app, right. Or charge for a development kit, right. $20,000 for a development kit. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, uh, uh, all sorts of ways, you know, game, the game platforms tend to charge for the developer kit and charge, you know, 30% of your revenue. Fee, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but what they arrived at was basically we're going to, and it, this was a big part of the announcement. It, it if you go mm -hmm. back to Steve jobs announcing the app store, it was that if your app is free, it's, it's free. free. It's free, right? Amazing, we'll, right? We'll just host it, and that we're the only way we're going to make money is by taking thirty percent of the I apps that, being that a aren't surprise, free. Right, right? It was, and that was and, in two thousand eight. That was like, whoa, like that's a that's a great deal, you know. And, and when and when I launched my app in two thousand eight, I was like, holy crap! You know, I, my app was making sales in like Saudi Arabia right. and Australia and the EU. Right. And I'm like, I'm paying Apple 30% to host this, to handle taxes, right. to manage compliance, to do like all the stuff they do. And me, like one dude is like selling software around the world Back and I'm only paying Apple 30%. For Holy web crap. apps, we didn't have like all these low costs, like push a web app to GitHub, like simple stuff. So like, if, even if you were selling it, like I, I was doing Facebook apps before I was doing iPhone apps. And that was expensive. You had to like 30, 40, 50 bucks a month just for a server to like host your stupid little Facebook thing. Um, and this was like, whoa, I can just build it on my Mac. I can push it to this app store and then I'm done. Like I just, I get paid maybe, right? That's fantastic. It's so, amazing. So with Cook on the stand in the Epic testimony, it came out that more or less, you know, that his argument was well, one of the, you know, the reason we monetize the platform this way through these commissions through the app store is it's the easiest way for us to collect the fees that we would. And if, if we allowed third-party payment processing, we would have to do something else to collect our fees, you know, and it would be complicated and we'd have to audit their books. And everybody was like, what is he talking about? You know, it's like, no, we just want to put Stripe in our apps. And why would you get to collect anything? Because we would be paying Stripe for the payment processing fees. But that's it. It's not payment processing fees. They they expect a roughly 30% of the revenue of stuff, digital stuff purchased through the phone. That and iPad. That's 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 what they think, and that they've set it up that you have to go through the App Store, and apps in the App Store have to go through Apple's payment processing because it is by far the easiest way for Apple to collect their share. And we saw with the Dutch compliance with the Dutch regulators is they set up this arduous system. I mean, uh, uh, 
where they st- and they reduce the rate to twenty seven percent to compensate. <laughs> it's so funny. But, it's so funny. <laughs> it is funny, but it shows it shows. But it, it it it's like the the back of the envelope math works out that three percent is the credit card yeah. processing and twenty seven percent is Apple's cut from monetizing its IP. That's so. This is my one of my big takeaways from the DMA that. I think people are going to people who read that Bloomberg report this week and got very excited are going, I think, going to be very disappointed with Apple's response. Is I think Apple's <laughs> I think Apple's response to this for all of Europe is going to be along those lines and that that they're going to come up with a system where you can okay, you can, if you want to, you can sideload apps or I guess create maybe maybe they'll allow the third party app stores, depending on how they do the or but that everything is going to have to be a uh, you're still going to have to be a registered Apple developer. You're still going to have to get your apps signed, and if you get mm-hmm. these entitlements to do that, you're going to have to audit your books and show them to Apple and pay them twenty seven or thirteen percent, you know, uh, of of your money. So you think that you think there's yeah? Because I was wondering that. So so if it's very clear in the in the world of adding Stripe to an existing app, okay, you're not paying for Xcode, you're not paying for the app store distribution, you need to pay for that, that's clear. If you create a new app store, I guess if there's all these, and again, it's going to come down to how they can get away with implementing Like, So if you have to go through app review, you have to use Xcode, you have to use all these things, uh, okay, great, that makes sense. But is the 30%, I guess the question is, is the 30% for the app store and the distribution you get from the app store? No. Is the 30% for the app store and the phone? So it's for licensing iOS or like the uh, yeah, it's for monetizing their intellectual property, and that that phrase are the APIs, mo- right? Like I'm paying to use UIKit essentially, and to 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 monetize the hardware too. That you're on this hardware platform that they invest all this money on, and they expect that that the privilege they they consider it a privilege to have your software running on their system. It is like it. it it is. They have never ever thought of the iOS platform as being like a Mac or PC, where it is an open computing platform. They've never described it that way. They don't see it that way. We all see how, at a technical level, that of course is what it is, right? But like Xbox has been around since like 1999 or 2000, and Xbox famously does. has always just been a PC yeah. wrapped in a sideways black box, right? It, I mean, and that was the whole pitch to developers is, look, there millions of you uh, develop, game developers know how to write games for Windows PCs. Now you can just like practically hit a button and spit out an Xbox app. But it what it it's literally a PC in there, but you have never been able to sideload apps on an Xbox. You know, it's it, the phone. They see the phone as that type of computer. And I've used the word console and people mm-hmm. roll their eyes because they think they hear console and they just think games and games alone. And if it's not the switch or Xbox or PlayStation, it's not a console. But to me, that's sort of the brilliance of the iPhone idea is that it's effectively an app console for any type of app, but that's how Apple sees it. And they, they, however you do your payments, they want roughly 30 to 15% of your revenue. And I, I, I don't know that that's what they're going to do for compliance with this EU stuff, but I don't. I, I really tried looking for something that said that they couldn't, and I don't see it. Uh, uh, and so I, 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 so why wouldn't they? 
right? I, I don't yeah, know. I mean, that goes back to, I think they will, they will, and they will enforce this as malicious or not. Malicious. They will do the 27% <laughs> thing. That is so funny, right? They're, they're not going to leave anything on the table. Like, why would they? Spitefully. Spitefully. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, and, yeah. and, and I also started looking for how, you know, and Apple could come at this different ways. Like and I, I wrote in my piece on it, you know, that they could come at it with, okay, we give in, this is the law in Europe, you know, uh, uh, Let's make this as consumer friendly as we can. Let's do the best job we can to, you know, keep it safe, keep stuff sandboxed and, you know, uh, and, and make it as friendly as possible for the sort of users who might want to do it. But I don't think that's going to be their attitude. Yeah, they, I was, I was imagining this on the way here today. I was like, are they going to put like a red border around all right. the apps that they're running in this mode, right? Like <laughs> right. just do everything they possibly can right. to make it un unsavory. Like the like the cigarette warnings in Europe, right? They're right. just gonna put like right. apps full of viruses, pictures and things like this to scare you before right. you install it. They could. <laughs> what what do you think it's gonna take for and do you think Apple will ever soften up on that stance? Because is it just is it just money grubbing at this point? Because in, and the, the testimony from uh, Phil Schiller, or maybe it was a document that, that released in the Epic trial, but it was pretty damning that Phil Schiller at one point was hypothesizing around, should we cap App Store revenue to Apple at whatever it was, $10 million a year or, or a, a whatever, billion. $100 million like, a year. Like, I forget. No, Bill, it was like it was a billion. billion. Yeah. Okay. It, a lot of money, but either either way, like he was, they were talking internally about should we cap the revenue of the app store? And to me, that was damning, especially damning because it says they see the benefits to their hardware platform of having a really great app store. And the 30% app review, so many of the things that, that Apple is doing with the app store in 2022 that in 20, 2008 seemed logical, just don't anymore and have really hampered innovation have hampered, you know, experimentation with business models. And so on the one side, they have this platform that, that is amazing for consumers, amazing for developers like me who've built whole businesses around it. And it's just a fantastic thing for the world. I mean, with these pocket computers that do these amazing things that we could go anywhere and call an Uber and check into our flight and all this stuff. But then it, it, it just felt increasingly to me like they're making poor stewardship choices around the app store specifically to continue obstinately collecting that toll versus kind of doing what's right by consumers and doing what's right by, by, the, by the freaking platform that's helping yeah, I mean, them we make were talking, 50% of their revenue on hardware. We were talking like some of these edge cases with like, you know, if there's NFT gas fees or like um, sometimes like creator platforms like, oh, geez, I can't remember the name. The thing where you pay people to like, you know, celebrities to shout you out, uh, uh, all that stuff where you have some sort of underlying, I mean, Spotify is maybe a bad example, but like all of these business models that aren't the like lifestyle subscription app, right? Zero margin lifestyle subscription app. It does feel like, that I is it is it is Apple as stewards is it important for them to make sure that however they're collecting their licensing fee they accommodate those use cases and they're hurting consumers by not making accommodations and hurting themselves and which, yeah. which actually ironically the DMA doesn't sound like it's going to solve which is no awesome. I don't yeah. I don't I don't <laughs> think so I I I do think it is money grabbing at this point I and I I, I often say and I, I really and it it's Seldom failed me. Apple doesn't say much, but what they say is almost always the truth. And if they ever lie, it's always 
lies of omission, right? It's things that they don't mention. And it's, you know, but when they say stuff, they really mean it. And when you go back to the original iPhone introduction or, or app store introduction, like a year after the iPhone, um, jobs described it as a break even proposition, uh, you know, that they just want to collect this 70, 30 split, which was for phones, unbelievably in developers favor, right? Like anybody who developed software for pre iPhone phones was not getting, it was getting the short end of the 50, 50, 50 split. You know, it was the other way that, and it was the carriers who were making all the money, you know, cause everything went through the carriers. So it wasn't like Nokia was making all the money. It was Verizon and AT&T and you know, the other carriers around the world. Yeah. And they, and for that reason, the software is famously garbage, right? Like there was just nothing. <laughs> but it's funny too, because I the 70-30 split also clearly came out of the iTunes music store, right? And and, well, and all and the entire I mean, that's how in-app purchases work still. Right. We're it's, still like the infrastructure right. is the apps, the the iTunes store, which is <laughs> right. why my job exists. Right. And so it's fascinating to think what could have happened in the what if scenario that somebody else had beaten Apple to the iTunes music store. Like if Amazon in 2000, so, you know, the, the iPod came out in 2001, you know, 1999, 1998, or somewhere around there, if Amazon had come out with a, a, a downloadable MP3 music store where you could buy all, you know, every song from every major label for 99 cents as, as a disruption disruptive thing for Napster and all the file sharing back, back in that era. And Apple was like, ah, you know, we, we're not going to enter a market. We can't make a difference in will. St- I think they still would have made the iPod, right? Cause that's something that nobody else can make. It was a breakthrough hardware device, but maybe they wouldn't have gotten into the music business selling themselves. Or if they did, maybe it would be different. But if there were no iTunes music store with the 70, 30 split, how would the split have worked when they did announce the app store in 2008? I don't know if it would have been 70, 30, it might've been 80, 20, it might've been less, right? Or maybe they would have followed the the lead of the, the current status quo, right? They would right. have been slightly better than market and right. that would have been even worse potentially. But, but basically the, I do think that John meant it that they did not see this as a profit center they wanted to kind of break even and then i and well i didn't make that much money back then either yeah right and, you remember and, it wasn't like it is now right you know? and, and because we figured out and, and apple of course was wrong you know like the basic idea at the outset was that there'd be free apps and paid apps and that was it there was no such thing as an in-app purchase or a subscription and the things that we now know make the most money weren't even really envisioned and almost right. And other, you know, there are, thankfully I I enjoy that. There are still games that are just like you pay five bucks, you get the whole game. That's it. And there's no in-app, there's no ads and there's no in-app badgering or buckets of jewels or gems or stars or whatever you, you know, I enjoy that, but that's not how most apps make money. Uh, you know, know the the only ones that aren't in that category that do are the handful of outlier brands, right. That are amazing. Right. Like my, like Minecraft, right. Minecraft still makes a zillion dollars, but somewhere along the line, when this got way more popular than Apple ever envisioned. And I do think that's, I I don't know that anybody could have envisioned the iPhone overall would become as popular. I don't even think Steve jobs, right. I I think knew that they had a hit, but I think that where it was going to go and how big it was going to get was beyond anybody's imagination. I mean, we didn't know it was going to change the world, right? We didn't know it was going to be the the phone or the device, right? A very slow change from uh, a pleasant, lukewarm water to boiling hot water 
right, of how interested Apple was in the revenue they made from their side of the commission in the App Store. And it clearly changed at some point to becoming an important driver of their services growth, right? And Mm -hmm. combined with the fact that midway through the last decade, they seemed stuck on growth everywhere else. And, And the iPhone in particular clearly has sort of they're still growing a little, but it, it, they're getting very close to selling an iPhone to everybody on the planet who can a afford it and is it actually prefers iPhone to Android. They're, they've kind of maxed out, and so services became the narrative in their calls. You know, the stock calls, quarterly calls to the analysts of you know we and and they have grown their services very much as as they said they expected to, but a huge part of that services growth is the money they make through the app store, mostly games, right? And certain number, you know, lots of numbers came out in the Epic trial. It's a lot of money. It's a very, you know, maybe the most successful gaming platform in the world. I think, you know, financially it's, it's huge. They're very interested in that money now. And that's, it, it, it's contrary to where their interests should be. I think it is a case of money, you know, the, the way that you always have to be dangerous, that money can corrupt anybody. And I think it's sort of corrupted where their priorities should be. I think yeah, I they mean, they're, sh- they're a board of a, they're a board of a public company. It's got to get up every quarter and be like, numbers go up, numbers go up, right? They're going to find the easiest way to make that happen. But there's other things that have gone down. And I think David alluded to this earlier mm. where, where they've hurt, they've, they've certainly hurt their reputation with like developers, right? Developers, I think largely, especially indie independent developers, largely see Apple as somebody they shouldn't depend upon. And I think there are a lot fewer people who are thinking yeah. we we should build a company based around apps through Apple's App Store. And everybody's, and, front, everybody's looking for an exit, right? Everybody's looking for a safety a safety boat. We we see that in our numbers. Like Stripe is growing. Everybody's faster. doing it now. Like. In the ways they can, and it, you can't quite put a number on it, but like it, it is in Apple's benefit to have terrific exclusive apps, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you I, we all have our favorite, like Fantastical, uh, the apps from uh, from them. Uh, there's all sorts. Of, I mean, uh, all the great apps, or not all, but a, a large. You know, if you look yeah. at the really stunning ones, not a ton of them are multi-platform. But in a sense, it's very good for Apple financially to have these exclusive apps on their platform. And it keeps people hooked to their platform and they primarily make their money by selling these devices and keep that going and have the exclusive titles. And it's, and the more a developer digs into the things that are iOS specific, just the user interface and the APIs are available, the less harder it becomes to ever go cross platform. Mm -hmm. But People looking at it from a business sense say this is an untrustworthy partner. There's all, you know, constant, never ending capriciousness. Right. And and I don't know anybody who's an app developer who's kept at it who doesn't have uh, (laughs) unbelievable (laughs) stories about dealing with app review. Right. And so people, people naturally think, even if they, if in theory they might, they might have built exclusive apps for the platform, think we shouldn't build exclusive apps for the platform because it's, it's an unnecessary risk to our future. We should, you know, build something. It's also competed out a lot too, right? It used to be able, if you were a really great iOS developer and you really deeply understood the platform, you could just use that alone, follow the HIG really well kind of play it the right way and, right. and have a breakout but it's 
I don't know if that's enough these days, right? To- that's basically where I think Phil Schiller was going in that email that came out in the Epic trial where, what are, you know, why don't we just say once we get to a billion dollars in our share of the app store, we'll just, as, as it continues to grow, keep lowering the rates to keep our cut at a billion, which is good money for us, but not huge money for Apple. But It would have made them a better platform steward. Right. And... You can say, well, of course they didn't do that because the money is everything, but there is, it's money isn't everything. Value is everything, right? And, and there's value in the developer goodwill and the community goodwill that would have happened if, as the years went on, they went to a 25% 2010 split instead of 30, 15. Oh my God. They get every Christmas drop at 2% and like totally reverse the trend of Apple being the villain. It would have made a big difference and it would have been an investment in the, in the brand and in the, in the platform. Yeah. And, and this is where it might bite them in the ass. And, and you saying that just lit a fire in my brain and Jacob and I were talking about this pre-show is that, if third party, if the EU does force third party app stores and then other countries around the world start to follow suit, Facebook builds the Oculus and Meta platform and can use iOS and can do whatever the hell they want. And developers are going to be like, oh, cool. And so, so now Apple releases their you know, headset. And so the, the kind of next platform is going to kickstart on top of the smartphone and Apple had a lock on that and a lock on developers. And by squandering a lot of that developer sentiment, by squandering a lot of these opportunities in better managing the app store, they've put the next platform at a much greater risk. So go back to, again, go back to the when the app store was first announced in 2008. Mac developers in particular were ecstatic, right? They were They were like, wow, this is going to have more users. It's a familiar environment. This is going to be great. Now, it didn't turn out to be great for most Mac developers, to be honest. It it turned out differently than we imagined. But there was that, because that goodwill had been built up, they were enthusiastic for it. Whereas I think you're right, where when Apple comes out with their next developer platform, which is clearly going to be the headset, there will be enthusiasm because presumably it's going to be cool, right? And it's going to be a desirable, you know, you know, if we assume that Apple continues, it'll be better than the Quest, right? Right, substantially. Oh, I, I, I think it has to be. And if it weren't, yeah. I think they would cancel the project. You know, that yeah. it, it's it it has to be. But I think that enthusiasm for developers is going to be t- tempered because everybody already has. If we just talk about dealing with App Store review alone, let alone the processing <laughs> fees, people are going to be like, ah, oh, this again. You know, I mean, I I played every. When the iPad came out, I jumped on building for that. When the the watch came out, I jumped on building for that. When the Apple TV SDK came out, I jumped on building for that. And every single time I got, it just, it never like worked out. It was never like a good bet, right? So at this stage, if there's other developers who have been through that, especially with the background of everything that's going on, like I'm going to, I would think really hard, especially when you look at, I mean, I check in with the, what's going on on the Oculus side. Yeah, it's ugly and they've released it early and there's no legs and all this crap. But it's every year I check in, it's like they're getting closer and closer to something. And I, I hadn't, I was arguing with David on on Slack before about like, this isn't like, I don't see how, who's going to build an app store anybody gives a crap about. But then I realized like, well, actually there's like four or five companies that already have app stores that basically they just now have a Trojan horse into the app. Like um, there are so many games on, 
on Xbox that can easily be cross compiled for iOS. Right. Probably not even using I- Apple tool chains if they pulled it off right. You know, these are Unity and these are Unity and um, uh, other Unreal Engine. Yeah, Unreal games that can be cross compiled. They could probably not even use Xcode and like potentially sidestep some other like platform fee things. Um, and they can bring those in, you know, and like that actually to me, when I'm thinking about the consumer use case, like they're Apple maybe substantially has taken a, a back. It's like they they never had those markets really, at least, you know, the AR is a future market. They never really had the premium games market right. at all. Um, and, and, and maybe they just lost that. And like, I think still like the app store will probably always be the app store for apps, right? Like I don't see somebody else coming in and being like Microsoft being like, look at our apps. Like we have two other, we have other app stores that are meh, right? Like right. play store doesn't blow the app store away. Amazon's does not blow that store away, but I can see these other like entrenched already existing locked content actually making a big deal. And I don't know, like, I don't think like now that's law is a thing, like what can Apple do? It's over. Like they can't put the genie back in the bottle. Right. Well, I'm curious what you guys think about why, why side loading and third party app stores never even because they're allowed on Android. They exist on Android, but never, they don't really the overall Android landscape does not seem to be any less dominated by Google's play store than Apple's is by the app store, even though Google allows these things. And I think it is, I think it's very, it's very unclear to me why that is, why that never took off. Epic, Epic famously made a go at it by doing their own game store for Android. And you know, they, I mean, they, they care enough that they literally took, you know, fought Apple so hard and, and did the, the, trojan horse trick with the built-in payment processing that they got kicked off ios and were making i don't know uh, i i forget what the numbers are but it ios wasn't fortnite's biggest platform but it was big enough that that you can tell they really meant it, it it's a lot of money to yeah. forego um but their their app store but they sued google too that's the that to me yeah. is the most interesting thing is that and ask I, me how i know <laughs> but it's it's kind of wild that they sued Google because more or less they sued Google because they didn't think it was fair or right that there was a couple of warnings and humps that that uh, hoops that uh, users have to jump through on Android to allow it. I did it. I actually on my Android phone installed the Epic mm. App Store and got Fortnite on my Android phone, and it, I, I thought it was a reasonable number of things. But it's you know it's clearly uh, certainly not- for like Fortnite users, but probably not for like your typical normie phone user, right? But again, there are so many questions we don't know. So Tencent, for yeah. example, would have a, finan- a huge financial interest in doing their own iOS game store so that if if they were allowed to do it in a way where they don't have to give Apple a cut of the in-app purchases. So that's it. And to me, it is a huge open question whether Apple can still insist that everybody who do this do is. And for example, other questions that to me, I do not believe are answered in the, in the DMA. Can Apple yeah. say if you if you take these entitlements and put your app in a third party app store or allow it to be sideloaded you're out of our app store you can be if you're in our app store part of the term is hmm. you agree that it is the exclusive way to distribute your app i mean there's 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 language about not retaliating for other things uh, but not that specifically, right? Right. I don't think so. So everybody, you know, Facebook is another one uh, that everybody is thinking about because Facebook is obviously very unhappy about the uh, app tracking transparency. And, and you know, by all accounts, it seems to have adversely affected their revenue. You know, that Apple changing the mm-hmm. rules on cross-app tracking on iOS, on their just one platform, has seriously put a dent in Facebook's revenue. So what if Facebook made their own app store just to distribute their apps? 
Oh, and I, uh, and Mark probably has an irrational reason to do it, right? Like he wants to punch him back. And what if their apps distributed outside Apple's app store just ignored app tracking transparency, just said, you know, we're not even going to ask, is Apple allowed mm-hmm. to somehow ban the app because it still is being approved in some way or no? I mean, certainly by the DMA, right? Like it's, if it's in their terms, like they can do it, right? Like it's just a business relationship. Right. And I think that they could, they could, the, the parts about that the gatekeeper is allowed to protect the integrity of, I don't think the word privacy comes up, but you know, that the security of users and data. That was, that language is, was in the Open Markets Act, the US version as well. Like right. they're allowed to take moves to protect the integrity of the platform, which basically opens up Apple to be able to right. do anything. So I don't think, uh, I, I really don't, the people who have it in their mind, you know, some people just have cool ideas that they want, right? They just want to make cool things and would, and they know it can't go through the app store and they want to do it through sideloading. And so I'm kind of hopeful that it, but you know, that the, oh, there'll be a, there'll be a there'll be like an official Cydia, right? That's like, now you can do sideloading, but you have to install the store first. The, right. the, I think the store thing, or like, uh, yeah, I don't know. There'll probably be a paper process for a store, right? Like you have to go through a process entitlements, whatever. Well, that basically some of the stuff that people are doing with, third non-app store distribution through test flight and other beta type things like alt store maybe mm-hmm. would become easier and and would scale to more users but it's not going to put a dent in the app store it's not going to make it's not going to be market it's probably not going to be market viable the only ones that are going to be market viable are the ones that are backed by big platforms like right. the xbox example like you know i've got tens of xbox titles already paid for there's no no, no additional payments necessary like what stops you know if apple wanted to collect the like how would apple collect on that like, let's say I could access half of those on my iPhone natively. I've already paid for them. I paid for them off store. There's no in-app purchases. Like Apple can't collect anything, at least with the the current the current right. world, right? They would ha- it would break their regime. It would br- or break their current their current collection mechanism. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I was ready to come in and be like, this is nothing burger, total nothing burger. I don't think it affects our community actually that much. I don't know if it's a nothing burger yet, because I don't know how they're going to clarify it. If they clarify it and say that, no, the gatekeepers for sideloading and third-party app stores are not allowed to collect a mandatory commission at any level, then it's, you know, it's, it, it is a something burger at that All point. Right, because they could just go to Xbox and say like, hey, yeah, okay, we're at changing the rule now. You have to pay us a $50,000 year license fee if you want to distribute. But I, I think it is very much up in the air whether that's going to happen. And, uh, you know, on, on Android, you can, you don't have to pay. Like the Epic App Store thing, you know, collected its own payments, but users didn't use it, right? And that's yeah. my thing is that even if Apple has to concede to this and and do it in a way that, that doesn't, is it really going to affect mass market adoption? I, I don't know that it will, but maybe iOS is different enough from Android that that it would. I mean, famously, everybody knows there's more money to be made from the average iPhone user than the average Android user. It's a significant amount more money. Well, and in the bulk, too. It's not even just on a per user basis. Like they, they just, you make more money on the App Store by a substantial margin. So a company like Tencent with enormous amounts of money at stake, um, for in-game purchases might have deemed Android not worth doing the effort, mm. but might look at iOS yeah. and say, yeah, we will do this. But again, it, 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 would would they do it if Apple is, even if they're allowed to do it without giving Apple a cut of the money, or if the EU clarifies that it's capped at 10% or 5% or some number that's much lower than the current numbers, which they, there's nothing like that in the law right now. But if they, in the future, clarify it that way, 
would they do it if it meant that app if Apple were allowed to say, but if you do this, we're going to kick you out of the regular app store? Or even just the risk, like you're going to build this whole thing and Apple, you know, Apple doesn't want it. Um, and you're going to put a bunch of investment into it. And then one day Apple's going to be like, yeah, sorry, uh, you can only show your apps in black and white now. Right. Or, or something stupid. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> the two big turning points, though, are that one, the DMA did make it clear that apps can, within the app, talk about outside yes. payment. Yes. So, so Apple is going to have to compete. And, and, and that seems pretty clear. Well, the, the, the second one is, is whether or not Apple can do the commission and those interplay. So if you can say, go to the web to pay for this, Apple is going to have to compete with web payments. And then presumably the spirit of the DMA is that Apple couldn't then collect their, their licensing fee from the web payments. Right. But, that's, but that's the second crux of it. So how, how do we even guess at... I, I mean, I guess what... The EU needs to clarify whether Apple can collect a commission for their IP licensing. And then, and then that, that's really the crux of all this is like, if they say Apple cannot collect a licensing fee, then Pandora's box. Right. <laughs> like, and, and, it, and then it, the way it's probably going to play out though, is Apple's going to pretend as if they can, and then it's going to be years of back and forth and lawsuits and whatever. I mean, where, where, yeah, where do you think it's going to go on that specific topic? I don't know, but I do agree with you that those are called anti-steering provisions, right? And so the anti-steering is you're not allowed to steer your customer to the web to make a payment from within an app. I, to me, that's the most egregious thing. I, I, I just completely disagree with on Apple's part. I think it is truly anti-competitive in the plain sense of the word, however you deem it legally. It's, it's, it's unethical, in my opinion. If the EU had asked my opinion, I would have said you should just focus on this and that should, you know, make that the law. And because I, I think at a common sense level, one page. Yeah. And everybody, and I, I don't <laughs> see how the any you could explain it to people and people would say, I can't believe that wasn't illegal already. Right. It, I think mm -hmm. people are shocked when you tell them that they're not allowed to tell you that you could go to you could pay ten dollars right that you here. You have to use the apps, the I app that, that you have to use IAP. Right. Like it, nobody knows this except for developers. Right. Where do I think it's going? Uh, I don't know. I, it, it, we just don't have enough clarity. I mean, will Apple continue to be obstinate? I think so. I, I, I think the point yeah. to not be obstinate has passed. Right. And unfortunately, yeah. I would love it if that's what they that if that was if they took it as a moment of reckoning, because the other thing that's interesting about this is Apple likes having as much global continuity as they can. Mm -hmm. And so with the Japan Trade Commission thing, they were like, we're just going to do this worldwide. And they yeah. like having things. And of course, there's certain exceptions. The whole thing with data centers hosted in mainland China is an ex enormous exception just for China that they wouldn't do for most countries, right? If Poland passed a law like that, I think Apple would have to say, well, sorry, Polish users, you, you know, you don't get iCloud. It, it, I, yeah. I, you know, and, and that I mean, would, could they do that? I mean, could they threaten? I mean, they could conceive uh, maybe a lot of money, but if it's existential for them. Well, and, and I think though, but I think what would happen is that the Polish legislators, legislators would realize we, we're not going to, we're going to lose this. Right. And I think that oh, they, I, I guess I'm, I'm talking about the whole of the EU, right? Like, well, it, that's the it, thing. The it, EU is a big enough block that Apple has to comply. Right. That's the thing. That's, I guess, that's yeah. the, you know, it's, it's too, they, they but make, I'm getting it if it's existential. Which I, uh, I guess they don't think that is. If if they thought it were existential, they wouldn't be trying to comply. They would be playing harder. 
Nothing is existential for Apple, though. And that's what we were getting at earlier. This is their platform. These are this is their hardware. The App Store is trusted. The App Store is going to keep being used. Yeah. Estimates are that, you know, even if this was fully enforced, it would be like 2% of Apple's revenue globally. Right. Like, it, it, like, it's not existential. So, like, when does Apple just start doing what's right by the platform? And, and then to your point, I was like, okay, yeah, we just solved it for the EU. Apple can collect a maximum of 10%. Uh, IP commission for licensing their APIs, but it's not that simple because yeah. like, whoa, they, now can they collect 10% fees from Uber because they're licensing? And so then it still turns into a whole big mess of like, what are they entitled to collect on? What are they not entitled to collect on? But u- ultimately it would be better for the markets to decide than a hundred page document from the EU, <laughs> but something needs to happen. And that's where the writing is on the wall and Apple is <laughs> fighting tooth and nail against every little last inch. The one thing I think, I hope it's going. I hope the anti-steering thing goes worldwide and I hope they open up on that. And I think, you know, that developers who are interested in doing it, could, who don't yet have it, who do everything in-app, maybe should start thinking about what if what if we could steer a significant number of our users to jump out of the app to the website to sign up here? And, you know, would building this out be worth the difference in in commission we would pay. And the funny thing is for a lot of for most apps it's probably not. Right. Because having, even if there was a 27% people, differential. Yeah. Like people paying with their face, right. like the conversion rates of how easy it is, how everybody's got a card on file because they have to right. for their candy crush. And this isn't this isn't academic. People have and tried. Dunning and like all that stuff. Yeah. I know we're trying to land this, but I still think I think the biggest thing is that people who are technically minded at all and who ins- and I mean this but that if you feel comfortable installing apps on your Mac or Windows PC at all just from outside an app store that's the level of technical expertise I'm talking about but because most people are either feel like they can't do it or they're spooked by it and rightfully so because you don't know on a Mac or PC something you download third party you have no idea what it's putting in the background and it's not a tail risk that's like a very real ri- like that's right. a very real thing and right? how many you know how many times is, do we know people who are typical casual users who've installed something and now all of a sudden they're getting <laughs> I pop, miss those days pop-ups coming over to grandma's they, house right hundreds of pop-ups on the browser i i think those of us who are comfortable with that level of expertise Cannot we we all all of us even me who's trying to emphasize it here underestimate how important the closed loop of iOS is from a user's perspective mm. of when you want to add a new app to your store this is where you go App Store you go there you search or you go you know you find it you know just and then you tap install there and then it goes there and you know nothing it it can't possibly mess up your iPhone. Right. There's nothing bad is going to happen to your phone. It's not going to suddenly start sucking mm-hmm. down battery in the background or start doing pop ups when you restart your phone or something like that. Nothing like that can happen. If you want to get rid of it, you just tap and hold on it and hit a red button and it's gone. That closed loop. This is the one place to go for software. This is and it's absolutely, you know, it's easily reversible. I, I just think you can't overstate how how essential that is to people's understanding of their phones and what makes them enthusiastic downloaders of new games and apps and stuff like that. And why this why this market exists fourteen years later? And I think it's why side loading and third party app stores on Android never really took off because they, it can't reach mass. You know, and it's great for enthusiasts. You know, enthusiasts have a better 
a better run of it on Android to sideload things than we do going through test flight and developer type things. Or just jailbreaking. I don't know how, I mean, if you really care, you'll jailbreak or whatever. Like, you'll do it. I don't know. Is jailbreaking even still a thing on the iPhone? I don't know. I haven't (laughs) done it in years. I just remember talking out of school here. I think that they're, (laughs) I think they're getting so close to closing off those, uh, those yeah. those bugs that can be exploited that I, I to me it's not even an issue and, and I, I guess I, with test flight you almost don't need it anymore right like you can you can do a lot right that's I think that the ease and, and the, the dependability of test flight for all of the annoyances and the user limit list and and the parts that wouldn't be as great as side loading at least you know it's not going anywhere whereas if you're if you're building something that you count on jailbreaking it could disappear at any OS update. And you've, you know, mm-hmm. and they're constantly like, oh, don't update to iOS 16.2. Yeah. Not really viable. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, great job landing it there. <laughs> um, I think, I think, you know, in summary, there are just so many unknowns that are going to play out. I, I, so, I was telling David, TV, I think the biggest TV, effect D. of this is going to be on people who blog about Apple. Yo. Like <laughs> for the next 18 months. It's, it's, like, <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, I, I thought of that too. Why it's am a I jobs compla- program for why, bloggers? Yeah. Why am I, I? I'm sitting here complaining about it all week long. And I, I've thought about this. I'm like, why am I complaining? I've, this is, you know, people are going to turn to me and look for my take on every, every step of this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's You're good gonna for be business. on CNBC yeah. five times over the next year <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> talking about all this. So, so yeah, TBD, the, the, it's an open conversation. Maybe we'll have you back on after WWDC yeah. to kind of see how things are kind of starting to shake out, whether Apple kind of tips their hand or something. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to me because I, I could see it going either way where they give these big, huge clues or then say they nothing don't, they don't say surprise anything. us on a thursday like they always do but right? if they give clues wouldn't it it would be so amazing and it would be so typically apple's apple's at you know typical take if they start talking about what's effectively sideloading but that they've invented a way to do it <laughs> <laughs> we're calling it test flight prime right or whatever right and, like- and, and you know there are other platforms that have had this but it's opened users up to all of these problems blah blah you know all these nightmares <laughs> we've come up with a way that is safe and and we we would know this is all just about complying with the law but they're acting like they came up with this great yeah, idea and invented this great new thing installing you say apps. apple doesn't lie but man do they spin right right like- right, they spin, right exactly and and you know when they're when they're hyping right and you know when they're doing that so it's yeah. not not a lie yeah. per se, but it's like you know, it's like oh my god, and and of <laughs> course every hope, right? all these all, all <laughs> so you could just see all the people tweeting and and tooting on Mastodon with the head blown emoji, like I can't believe they're trying to take credit for inventing downloading apps <laughs> from the web. <laughs> you know, it's almost like it's it's comforting now, right? Yeah, you, you ten years of doing these keynotes every year, right. or whatever. You're like, yeah, I just I want it. I want to see them take credit for something they didn't invent. It's beautiful. It drives people, all my developer friends, nuts. I've just gotten used to it, but it drives me nuts that. <laughs> It drives them nuts that Jaws is still always talking about boxed software in retail stores. And <laughs> when, when most consumers on iPhone have never seen a box of software. Well, there, right. There are so many users now who, who, who that's like talking about black and white TV. They're so young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's all like the app store is so great compared to buying box software and installing it. And, and it's like, what are you talking about? There's a good TikTok. Uh, just go ask some Gen Zers. What, what's a box of software uh see if- <laughs> so, so we're so we're laughing about it and there's so many open questions 
but this is going to impact trillions of dollars that are going to flow in and out of users' pockets over the next few years. Quit worrying and, and learn to love the cut, David. Just ride the <laughs> ride. You know, we're just we're we're, we're fleas on the back of <laughs> an elephant here. Just, it's going to be what it's yeah. going to be. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for for joining us. This was a really fun conversation, and and I think really enlightening. I mean, you sure made me think. And then and again, just I think you you have your haters who call you an apple shill or whatever and all that crap, but. You know, there, there are a few people in the industry who really know Apple the way you do. And if you're trying to read the tea leaves, if you're trying to make a business decision about what you're going to do over the next 18 months, you need to think about Apple's perspective. And you've shared pretty eloquently aspects of how they think internally about Apple. This is IP. This is, you know, <clears throat> so I hope folks found this enlightening and we'll have you back on again to, to talk more, but Ooh. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, there's just so much here. So thank you. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you have a minute, please leave a review in your favorite podcast player. You can also stop by chat.subclub.com to join our private community.